I, all I could say was, I just knew. I just knew something was wrong. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. When we've experienced tragedy, how do we heal and maintain a positive outlook? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 223 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and today we're speaking to JC, a teacher turned homeschooling mom of four living children and a daughter in heaven. After four very different hospital births, including a stillbirth, JC unexpectedly became a home birth convert. Her fifth baby was born healthy at home in August, which was an incredibly healing experience for her. Now, as you can tell, this birth story is going to cover some extremely sensitive content. JC hopes to provide encouragement to bereaved mothers, as the Lord placed several women in her life that had been open about their experiences with loss before she had her own. This was extremely helpful to her, and her desire is to help others with her story of both heartaching pain and, at other points, heart-bursting joy. In this episode, we will be discussing the experience of stillbirth, so please use great caution with choosing to listen. JC shares about how stillbirth differs from miscarriage, and we both want to be very clear that she's not diminishing the experience of those who have experienced miscarriages by any means, but she is sharing some of the differences of which many people may not know. Okay, so with all of that clarification, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. Please remember that the opinions of my guests may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And the show is not medical advice. It's an educational tool. So continue to take empowered responsibility for your health and your family. JC, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm honored to have you. Um, And I know we're going to be having a conversation today that is unlike any really that we've had on the Happy Home Birth podcast before. And so I'm just so grateful for you being here. Would you mind taking a moment to just introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. So I'm JC. I'm from Nebraska. I'm a believer, a wife, a homeschooling mom, an author. Um, I'm a mom to four living children and a daughter in heaven. My oldest is seven and my youngest turns six months this week. So that's crazy. (laughs) I have um, four very different hospital birth stories and then became an unexpected home birth convert. And uh, my home birth was just incredibly healing after having um, my stillbirth in the hospital. Um, And before I gave birth to my own stillborn baby, there were a lot of women um, in my life who um, I felt like God just kind of placed them in my path and, and they were open about a few aspects of their own stories. And as I went through it, that was really helpful to me. So now I'm just trying to do that for other people. I, I am so grateful for this. And I, I think this is just such a a perfect resource to have, you know, to, to be able to reference to um, when needed. So uh, that being the case, I know here at the beginning, we're let's just take a little bit of time to talk about stillbirth, you know, any of the the big questions that you get, you know, what is a stillbirth? Um, Would you mind going ahead and explaining this? 
Yeah. So um, what is a stillbirth? A stillbirth is classified by most medical institutions as being um, a fetal death that occurs after 20 weeks gestation, um, but before the baby completely exits the womb. So um, anytime from 20 weeks until full delivery, if a baby is lost, it is classified as a stillbirth. Um, stillbirths occur, there's about 21,000 um, every year in the United States, which is kind of a staggering number. You don't hear about a lot of them, but there are quite a few um, that occur in the United States. A lot of women just aren't able to talk about it. That's about one in every 175 births. Mm. Um, about half of those are late second trimester and about half of them are third trimester losses. So um, one question that I get a lot is, how is a stillbirth different than a miscarriage? So a stillbirth is different. The, the most obvious way is the point at which the baby is born. So um, a miscarriage happens before 20 weeks. A stillbirth happens after 20 weeks, but they're different in other ways too. Um, there's different medical implications for mom um, when you have a stillbirth versus when you have a miscarriage. Um, there's different ways of reporting it. There's different laws about um, what has to be done medically, um, what has to be reported, how to handle the baby's remains. There's, it seems like once you pass that 20 week gestation that all sorts of um, rules start coming out. And then also um, it's just, it can be, this is kind of a touchy subject. Um, and I don't mean to be callous when I say this, so I hope it comes off right, but it can be kind of invalidating um, when you've had a stillborn baby um, to be told things like, oh, I know exactly how you feel. I, I've had a miscarriage. And because the two situations are different, um, that can be kind of hard to hear. And they're both extremely tragic and extremely traumatic. And um, I believe that all babies, you know, are precious from the moment of conception on and their lives matter. And so I'm not, I don't mean that they are different in how much, how traumatic they are, but it's just there are, there are unique differences about how they, how they happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then um, because this is a home birth podcast, I have to answer the question. Um, are you more likely to have a stillbirth if you have a home birth? And this is a fun one to answer for me <laughs> because the Lancet, which is the world's um, leading peer reviewed general medical journal recently released a study. And I know you're aware of this, but <laughs> I'm going to make the listeners aware of this too. Um, it was a systematic review and a meta-analysis of 14 different studies, and it included 500,000 planned home births. And that what they were trying to determine was, um, is there a greater risk of fetal loss or neonatal loss? So a fetal loss would be a stillbirth when a healthy woman chooses to birth at home versus when a healthy woman chooses to birth in the hospital, a healthy woman with a healthy pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And their findings were, and I quote, the risk of perinatal or neonatal mortality was not different when birth was intended in home or in the hospital. So no, having a planned home birth does not increase your risk of having a stillbirth. Yeah, that is that is really a nice little one to be able to, <laughs> just a little tidbit for you. Especially because I think um, you know, there are lots of fears associated with home birth, but they all come back to two things. I'm going to die or my baby's going to die. And the statistics just show that that's not the case. Right. Right. 
Wow. Thank you. That was, this was very helpful, a very good way to, to get us started and just kind of know like, okay, what is it that we're actually talking about? What are the implications for home birth mothers in particular? Um, that was, that was so beneficial. So with that kind of background knowledge or, or general knowledge, I'd love for us to, um, to go into your story, your experiences. So where, where do you want to start with that? Well, I'll just start with briefly going over my first four births yeah. um, and then, then my home birth. So, um, yeah, I've had four children in the hospital and four very different hospital birth experiences. Um, my first, um, all of my pregnancies have been very healthy. I've had polyhydramnios, but it's never caused a problem. And other than that, I have had um, no complications. So I've been very blessed in that way. Um, when we had my first, I kind of went into it. I can like hear you inner cringing when I say this, but I went into it very like, eh, whatever, I don't care. You know, maybe I'll get an epidural. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be induced. Maybe I won't. I hadn't, I had no idea what was coming. No plans. Um, we took a childbirth education class. I won one at a baby fair. It was a six week <laughs> long. Yeah, it was a six week long natural um, birthing class. And that's funny because we were not naturally minded people at that time. But it was free and free is our favorite word. So we went and it was so extreme that it's almost comical now. We probably could have learned a lot from that class, but we left like laughing most days because <laughs> it was so extreme. It reminds me, we still we still joke about this. It reminds me of that scene in Mean Girls where the sex ed teacher is like, don't have sex or you will get pregnant and die. And, and that's pretty much what it was like. It was like, don't birth your baby in a hospital or the doctors will kill you. And so, yeah. And so I don't really remember a whole lot from that class because that's how it, most of it went. But so we did technically take a childbirth education class. But anyway, um, so I went into the hospital very unprepared and just assuming everything would be fine. And it was not. Um, my son, well, my Pitocin kept getting cranked up. I was induced. Um, my Pitocin kept getting cranked up very quickly and I ended up with a cascade of interventions. So um, epidural because I couldn't handle the Pitocin contractions. Um, my I had constant monitoring and his, it showed too many heart rate fluctuations. So then he had internal monitoring, the little thing screwed into his head. Um, and then when it came time to push, I delivered his head beautifully and then it stopped. And um, now we know he was a shoulder dystocia baby, but he got very, very stuck and it became chaotic very quickly. So um, I had a long time of pushing. We tried vacuum. We tried forceps. I ended up with an episiotomy, which is one of the few things that I said no to on my birth plan. Um, it was just, it was very scary. And um, my husband is a very nonchalant kind of go with the flow man. And I remember looking over and just seeing sheer terror in his face. And so I knew something was wrong. Um, and I had about 30 people in my room when I finally delivered him. My doctor said, okay, we're, we're going to move you to the OR. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want a C-section. And she said, then give it all you got. Cause this is your last push. <laughs> and he was born on that push. So yeah, we got him out, but not without, my share of trauma. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really know. I didn't know it was that traumatic until I had my second. 
So it was extremely traumatic on my body. But as far as my emotions go, I didn't really understand what part of that was normal and what part wasn't. Um, so when I went to have my second, I had really like hyped myself up. I wasn't necessarily scared. Um, I had a, I think they say about a one in 10 chance of it happening again once it happens once. So I thought, okay, it's probably not going to happen again. And it was a girl. So we thought, well, she'll be smaller. And I went in there, but I was hyped up, ready for all the hard stuff. Because again, I didn't know what was because of the shoulder dystocia and what wasn't. And um, my labor with her was great. It was a nice slow induction. And uh, I went to push and I pushed and she was here. Hmm. I mean, literally that quickly. Wow. And it was sort of like one of those out of body experiences because here I was all prepped mentally for all this trauma and um, chaos and all these people to come running and, and here they're handing me this baby. And I didn't really know what to do with her. Yeah. Because I was still in the mindset of, okay, it's time to push. And so I actually literally went into shock. I could not comprehend that the baby was here. <laughs> and so that kind of took away from, from that experience, I'm, I was very blessed to have an easy, healthy delivery, but my mind was just not there. It took me probably a good 24 hours to realize that, that it actually did happen <laughs> and she's here and everything is okay. And so that's when I started to realize that, wow, okay, my first birth was not normal <laughs> and they're not supposed to go like that. Um, so fast forward to baby number three, his personality is exactly how his birth went. It, he just was, he just was, it's like, he's just an, an easygoing dude. And that's exactly how his birth went. It's how his, his birth went the way that you think birth is going to go, you know, like, oh, I'll work through contractions and then I'll give some pushes and then I'll have a healthy baby and we'll snuggle. And that's all like, that was him. He was so easy. It's so funny. I feel like that is a very common thing where birth and personalities, they, yeah. They're linked. I feel the same with both of my children. I'm like, I saw who you were in labor. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is funny because, yeah, he just and we it was a very chaotic. I feel so bad for him. It's a very chaotic time in our lives. We were building house and moving and I had two toddlers at home. And and so I don't remember a lot of his early childhood because he was just so easy. I don't know. I just he just was there. He just all automatically was in the family. So. Yeah. So then um, I've had a baby about every two years. So then two years later, um, we were trying to get pregnant again and having trouble. All of my kids have been Clomid babies. So I've needed some help getting pregnant. Um, so I did the Clomid thing again um, to get pregnant with number four. And we just, it was not working for us. We were not getting pregnant. Nothing that we did was working. Um, and my doctor referred us to a fertility clinic. And so um, our appointment was like two days away and we found out that we were pregnant with her. Oh. And so that was pretty cool because she was our first that we didn't, we weren't on any medications or, you know, doing any protocol because we were kind of in that break between we tried with the doctor. Now we're going to the clinic. Mm -hmm. And so that was really fun and exciting. And my pregnancy was um, fantastic up until um, we got closer to late second trimester. And I hadn't felt her move. And that wasn't completely 
unusual. My other daughter, my second, um, she had an anterior placenta. And for those listening that don't know, an anterior placenta can cause you to not feel movement from baby until sometimes like 21 to 23 weeks. And so a lot of people start to get worried and then it's like, oh, there, finally, (laughs) there's baby. Um, So I was telling myself, okay, it's another girl. It's probably another anterior placenta. It's okay. I think I felt my daughter at 21 weeks. And so that was about where I was at. I was going to be out of town Um, for my 20 week ultrasound and my doctor was going to be out of town the following week. So she said, just come in and, um, we'll get a quick Doppler reading and then we'll both go on our trips and we'll see each other when we get back for your anatomy scan. So we did the Doppler reading. Her heartbeat was beautiful. Um, and we had also done a, um, boutique ultrasound to find out her gender. And so she was beautiful during that ultrasound. Everything looked great. And we went on vacation. We went to go see my grandparents about seven hours away. And I just had this feeling. Um, and I'm not a, I'm not a feelings person. So for me, that's kind of a big deal. Um, I just sort of felt like something was off. And I kept telling my husband that I just feel weird. I feel weird that she hasn't moved. I don't like that. You know, it's getting up here where I should start feeling her move. And I mean, obviously you have a 20, 21 week baby in your belly. You feel some things, but it wasn't the same. Um, And I remember Saturday night laying in bed with him. We were going to bed at my grandparents' house and I started to cry because I had been poking my belly and she wasn't poking back. And Mm -hmm. I just said, you know, something's wrong. I just, I really feel like something's wrong, but I had my anatomy scan on Monday morning. And so it was easy to say, you know, it's okay. We'll know Monday morning we're back in town. Very first thing we're doing is going to the scan. So we did. Um, Woke up Monday morning, sent the kids to grandma's, went into the anatomy scan. And um, the gal, she was so sweet. Um, She put the wand on my belly and it took her quite a while. Just kind of, I mean, fourth baby and I've had multiple ultrasounds with polyhydramnio. So I know the ultrasound game (laughs) and it took, it took her a while. And so I started, you know, getting iffy, but I just kept telling myself. I have an anterior placenta, anterior placenta. So I asked her to kind of break the silence. Do I have an anterior placenta? And she said, yeah, you do. And I said, oh, okay. And I even remember saying, that makes me feel better is what I told her. And she didn't really say anything. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, I'm having a really hard time with my wand. So I'm going to go grab the other one and I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. And she left the room and I turned to my husband. I said, I don't like that. I don't like that. And then she didn't come back. And it was probably about 10 or 15 minutes later. Oh, gosh. When she came back to the room. And in that time, we had we knew. I mean, your dog, your ultrasound tech has gone for that long. Um, there's something wrong. And I had turned to my husband and I said, this isn't right. She should be back. This isn't right. And she came back in the room. I pulled her chair over to me and my doctor, um, I go to direct primary care. So my doctor isn't within a hospital. So she had to call her. She said, I just got off the phone with Dr. B and I am so sorry, but there is no cardiac activity whatsoever. 
She said, I just kept looking and looking and I am seeing nothing. And I have so much love in my heart for the ultrasound tech. In fact, we tried to have her with our next baby to kind of, you know, have a good experience with her because she was so sweet. And she said all the right things and did all the right things. And she held our hands and cried with us. And um, I, all I could say was, I just knew. I just knew something was wrong. And so she had to take some measurements. Um, like I said, there's some different implications once you get further along. And so... Um, and obviously my body wasn't trying to have this baby anytime soon. I had no other signs whatsoever other than the lack of movement. Um, so she needed to take some measurements and just do a little bit of exploring just to make sure that I was okay. And to make sure that, um, if there was an obvious cause that she could try to catch that, which there wasn't. And then I needed to drive across town to see my doctor. Mm. And um, I have never been, and this is a shout out to DPCs, because I have never been more grateful for going to a, either a small clinic or a direct primary care, because she stopped the world for me. Mm. She was immediately with me. Every, every staff member in that place was there to open the door and get me in the room and get us a glass of water and hold our hands and... Um, she just explained everything that was going on. And uh, I, I am a facts person. So I said, you know, just shoot it to me straight. I don't want, I don't need the fluffy stuff. Just tell me what has to happen and when it has to happen. And um, so because my body wasn't showing any signs of letting her go, we needed to, we needed to take care of it and get her, get her to come as soon as, as soon as possible so that I didn't, um, go septic. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the doctor said, you know, I, so here's the tricky thing is, um, my doctor, I live in a small rural town. We have a hospital here, but they're not equipped with everything that a big city hospital would have. And so, um, she didn't have privileges at the hospital. Um, I typically birthed at, her privileges were in my small town hospital. And so she said, I need to pass you off to another doctor. Is there somebody you would like to go to? So that was a blessing because she called the doctor I had birthed my other babies with, and she was willing to take me right away just for mm -hmm. this. Um, so I was going to be transferred to Omaha, the town next to us. And I had to go home and tell my kids. And that was hard. Oh gosh. Wow. So at that time I had a, a five, a three and a one and a half, two year old. Mm -hmm. And, um, just trying to explain to them. I mean, it's already hard explaining to them. <laughs> this, this human is inside of me and she's going to be your sister. Mm -hmm. Um, so trying to explain to them that, you know, no, she wasn't going to come home, but she was going to come out of my belly. That was difficult. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to kind of go fast through this because it could be a day long story. But um, we came home and I was just in this daze. I had to get to the hospital 
And so they said, yeah, go home and grab your things. And you think of packing a hospital bag when you're going to have a baby and your list is a mile long. And I couldn't even think of a single thing to pack. I just kind of stood there. So I ended up grabbing, it's funny now, a pair of sweatpants, just one pair of sweatpants and a phone charger and my Bible. And that's all I took to the hospital. Essential. Yeah, that goes to show that you don't need all those things in your hospital bag if you do birth in a hospital. You can make do with very little, actually. (laughs) So, yeah, I had those three things, and it just, it was like I felt like I needed to take something. So that's what I took. And we got to the hospital, and um, my mood had kind of changed. Uh, I was shocked and sad. When we got to the hospital, I was kind of bitter. I got really bitter because I had had three babies in this hospital. And now I was going to have to go through all of that and come out without a baby. And it was COVID. And I already had negative attitudes about that. So, um, you know, they stop you at the door and they want all your information. They want to know who you're there to see and why you're there. And in an emergency situation, you don't have that information. I didn't know. And so I totally bit the lady's head off at the desk because she said, and I, I can laugh now, but I mean, she's, well, who were you here to see? I don't know. But why are you here to see them? Because my baby's dead. Like, I don't, you know, what do you say to someone when you're angry? Yeah. And, and I feel, I feel bad now, but so wow. we went up there and um, it was like a dream. You, you get taken back to this room and, um, you know, they have a white flower on the door to alert all of the nurses that, that you're a bereavement mom. And everybody that comes in that room talks super quietly. You just notice these things when you, when you lose someone, it's like, why does that, why does everybody talk quietly to me? And, um, just all I could focus on were silly little things like that. Um, because she wasn't coming on her own, I had to be induced with Cytotech and that was a new one for me. I'd never, I've always just had to have Pitocin. So um, we started Cytotech and the nurses came in and the doctor came in and they wanted to talk to me about pain management because when you are induced like that, when your body's not ready and then you're induced so abruptly, that can be pretty painful And then on top of that, um, obviously you have the normal birth pains, contractions and whatnot. And then um, when you have a baby and your body isn't, and their body isn't fully developed and you're not fully ready to deliver, sometimes the placenta doesn't deliver as easily. And obviously you want pain relief if you, if they have to go in there and take care of that. And so they gave me that spiel and said, so do you, you can do whatever you want. If it will, if it will make you feel better to feel things, you can, you know, not have an epidural. If it will make you better, feel better to not you can have an epidural. I opted for one because I was in the mindset of, um, I just, I just want this to go as smoothly as possible. And that is one of my regrets. And one of the things I'll talk about with my home birth. So, um, so yeah, I, I regretted it because, um, I felt so out of control. I am somebody anyway who I am a control freak. (laughs) I'm a micromanager. I like to be in charge of my own things. And um, 
that's one of the reasons I liked being induced before is because I could plan it and I knew how it was going to go or I thought I knew how it was going to go. And so, um, yeah, once I got that epidural, I was so out of control. I didn't, I didn't feel my contractions with her. I didn't feel the dilation. I started to feel pressure about, I don't know, four hours in, I started to feel pressure and the nurse had kind of delicately warned me. If you feel pressure, you need to tell us immediately. It's different than your other ones. And, um, I, I got what she was saying, but I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I had time and I thought I would need to, you know, I was, I was thinking it would be like kind of healing to birth this baby. Mm -hmm. Um, I called the nurse when I felt the pressure and one of them came in that wasn't my own. And she said, can I help you with something? And, and I said, I need my nurse. And she said, okay, I'll go get her. And she looked at my face and she said, what's wrong? And she, she said it in kind of like a, like, what's wrong with you? Um, tone. And I think my face was scared because I felt all this pressure and I couldn't stop it. Mm. And to me, this was one of the worst parts. She just came. There was no readjusting my body, pushing fanfare, nothing. She just came. And I have never felt so out of control in my life. And the people I wanted there weren't there. The nurses that I had kind of crash bonded with, you know, they weren't there. They didn't make it in time. My doctor didn't make it in time. My husband was there, praise God. Um, but it was just so sudden. And, you know, you, you try to spend some time wrapping your mind around things. And it had been very sterile up until then. Um, you know, this is what's going to happen. Because I, I did ask for that. And I am a facts person. You know, I want to know exactly, okay, what's going to happen? So it had been like this thing, you know, that was going to happen. And so we were on the phone with the funeral home, making arrangements and calling family members and stuff and worrying about taking off work and silly things like that. And then all of a sudden it was like, here's your baby. Uh, yes. So uh -huh. we spent probably five hours with her just um, holding her and taking pictures and praying and singing and doing all the things that we wanted to do with our newborn. Mm -hmm. And it, it would kind of hit us, you know, like we'd have her here and we'd be talking and then it would hit us again of what just happened. And the part, the worst part for me of all of it 
was the handoff. Because what you don't mm. think about, what I didn't think about until that very moment, I hadn't thought about it with my friends that, that you know, did miscarry or with my friends that had, had posted about their newborn losses or, you know, their stillbirths. And you don't think about the fact that there is a point in time when you, sorry. When you hand your child off to someone and you never see them again. And I will say that <clears throat> that gave me such an appreciation for birth moms of children who are adopted. Mm -hmm. Because you do think about it in those scenarios, but you don't know how it feels. <laughs> and now I know how it feels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we kind of had like a false start there where the nurse, they were so great. Those nurses were amazing. They, they came in and they said, are you let us know when you're ready or whatever. And it kind of gotten to the point, it gets to a point where there's only so much you can do, you know, with your baby when they're not alive. And, and it had kind of gotten to that point where it was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to do something now. And um, so I called them and I said, okay, I think we're ready. And so she started to explain to me like, okay, well, we'll take her out and this is where she'll go. And this is what we'll do. And we'll, we'll give you a few hours and take you up to recovery. And and then that's when it hit me that I was going to mm -hmm. pass her off and we were done. And so I said, okay, wait, never mind. <laughs> I'm not ready. And so she said, that's fine. Call me, you know, now, you know, so call me when you are. So we did all that. Um, going up to recovery was hard because like I said, I had had um, three other babies in this hospital and they've always moved to recovery with me. And this hospital is made in such a way that all the rooms look exactly the same. Mm. And <clears throat> I had always loved that. I am, I am such a uh, creature of habit and I find a lot of comfort and familiarity. And so I had always loved that before. And um, I absolutely hated it this time around <clears throat> because you are, you're going into a place that you're so familiar with and you know where your baby's going to be except for your baby's not there. And you know what the nurses are gonna come in and check, except for they don't come in and check that, or they don't come in for that first bath. And um, <clears throat> I felt so bad for the people around me because they would say, you know, we were rolling up in my wheelchair to recovery room. And, you know, everybody that sees you, they try so hard to make it a joyous experience at that hospital. And so everybody's congratulations, congratulations. And it's like, Ugh. yeah, what do you say? I mean, you just say thanks and move on. So uh, things like leaving the hospital without a baby, coming home and you've got all of the physical trauma of having a baby. I mean, I, I was in labor. I was induced. I was in labor. I gave birth. Um, 
I, I was, I, I had milk coming in to nurse a baby that I didn't have. And there's this um, tug between going back to real life and recovering. It's just, it's a hard, it's a hard balance. And a lot of people around me didn't, I don't think they realized that I had actually given birth. We throw the word miscarriage around so easily in society. And I think it's because it's, it happens so often um, that it's, it's easy to just say like, oh yeah, did you hear so-and-so had a miscarriage? Oh, that's so bad. I'm, I'm so sorry. And then it's over. You know, that's all we think about. Well, we don't think about the physical trauma of losing yeah. a child, especially once you get further along. And so I think a lot of the people around me wanted to comfort me as if I had had, you know, a, I had had a miscarriage. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be careful here because I don't want to downplay a miscarriage because they're no, terrible. I, as well. I know where you're coming from. Yeah. But I think, I think, I think we'll understand that. Yeah. So as if, you know, I had lost this baby and she passed and now my body was good again. And it just wasn't so. So, um, yeah, I struggled with recovery for that reason. I, I felt like, well, I don't have a baby, so I should be helping with my toddler or, you know, I should be jumping right back into homeschooling my kids or doing this or doing that. But at the same time, here I am grieving the loss of my daughter. Yeah. So, yeah, that is the gist of the stillbirth situation. Um I would love to, I, I have some questions that I want to ask in terms of um, means of support for mothers. You know, when, mm -hmm. if we, when we come across these experiences, um, ways to offer support, do you want us to go into that right now or at the end of the sure. episode? Sure. Um, okay. Let's end on a happy note. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, sure. So for me, food was very helpful. <laughs> um, meal trains, things like that were extremely helpful because it was a practical way. I think people, when they brought me a meal, I felt, and, and maybe they didn't even intend to make me feel this way, but it, it did make me feel this way. It felt like they knew I needed recovery time. Yeah. So offering to go have a cup of coffee with me and let me cry is real kind, but I don't, I don't need that right now. I need to be recovering because I just had birth. I just gave birth. Um, so the other thing is, um, I personally am a, I'm an introvert. <laughs> and so extroverting takes a lot out of me. And when I didn't have a lot to give, it was really hard when people would come and they would, people want to come and they want to sit with you. <laughs> and it's so kind, but it would take a lot out of me. <laughs> Um, so that was sort of exhausting. So I would just say, um, don't invite yourself over <laughs> to someone's house if they're, if they're, um, grieving in this way, um, helping practically a friend of mine gave me a huge box of stuff for my kids. That was mm. fun. That just kept them busy. I needed, I needed to not have to, um, entertain my children, every minute of every day and I needed to be able to breathe. And so, um, entertaining my other kids was extremely helpful. 
our pastor gave us, it was summer. So our pastor gave us a slip and slide and my, it took my kids outside for days. <laughs> they were out there doing the slip and slide. Um, as far as things to say, um, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a Bible believing Christian. And even I don't want to hear, well, this was God's plan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes, it was. yes, it was. That doesn't help right now though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I heard something on a reel the other day and I loved it. So I'm going to share it now. And I just, it just came to me. He said, he was asked a question Um, Somebody, you know, was going through a really hard situation and the question asked that was very helpful was in all of this that you've gone through this week, what is the thing that you're most proud of? Hmm. And I thought, wow, what an awesome question to ask somebody when they're going through a hard time, no matter what the hard time is. So yeah, um, that would have been cool to be asked, I think. But um, for me... From the time I found out that she was gone until um, her funeral, it was really important to me that she be treated as a person. I was so afraid that she would be treated as a pregnancy. And a pregnancy is different than a person. You know, there's a baby in there and they're a live human. And, and, And when they're not alive anymore, they're still human. I mean, they still deserve dignity. They were still worth something. And, and so I really appreciated when people would acknowledge her by name. I still do. Um, I really appreciated when people would ask questions about her, even if it was hard to answer. Not, I mean, you don't have to get graphic, you know, did you, did you get to spend some time with her or, you know, something, something relating to the baby herself. Um, If you know something about what they got to do, I'm so glad that you got to hold her. Mm. Or I'm so sorry that you did not get to hold her. Mm -hmm. Um, Something just acknowledging that there was a baby involved in this process. Yeah. And then the people, like I said, um, a lot of people didn't understand that I had actually given birth. So I was very grateful when people did acknowledge that. How How are you healing physically? Or, you know, the the older ladies in my church would say, you shouldn't be up doing this yet. You just had a baby. Mm. And so that acknowledgement of of what actually happened. That feels very validating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, and then um, we did have a a memorial service here at home for her. And uh, Obviously, not everybody is going to want something like that. But the people who we wanted there were there. They made it happen. Um, My mom was actually supposed to host like a huge family gathering at her house that day and just completely called it off. And that meant a lot to me because it, again, it validates her personhood. You wouldn't wouldn't skip your granddaughter's funeral, (laughs) you know, if you had had the chance to meet her. So why skip it when you when you didn't? So those were some things that were helpful. Um, There were two books. Now, um, I give to everybody that I can, that that I know of that has a loss because they were so helpful to me. So um, again, I'm a Christian. Both of these are Christian books. Um, The first one is Safe in the Arms of God by John MacArthur. And that one covers um, loss from 
um, early miscarriage all the way to loss of children, um, grown, mm-hmm. walking, you know, playing children. So that was very helpful to me. Um, he answered a lot of hard questions in there because you do, you do start to wonder as, as a Christian, where is my baby now? Mm-hmm. So he, he does a great job of going through that. Um, the other one, and this is silly, but this was the most helpful thing for me in the whole ordeal was a children's book. Um, it's called the moon is always round. And, uh, Jonathan Gibson wrote that one. Um, and the premise is, you know, the, the little boy is getting ready for his baby sister and they end up losing her to stillbirth. And throughout the story, they look up at the moon and some days it's a crescent and some days it's, you know, looks like a squished orange, but the moon is always round, no matter what it looks like. And the premise is that sometimes it feels like God is not good. Sometimes it feels like that. And it's okay to acknowledge that. But we know that the moon is always round. And we know that God is always good. So, um, so beautiful. I ordered that from Amazon for my kids. <laughs> and we went to pick her up from the funeral home. And it came, we had to stop at the post office to pick it up. It came and I opened it up and I read it outside the funeral home. And it was like music to my soul. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, it's been almost two years since, since we lost her. And still to this day, my kids will point out the moon. Look, mom, the moon's a crescent, but the moon's always round. God's always good. And it's just a fun little reminder of her. So those two books were were the resources that I appreciated the most. Thank you. Those are really helpful. I will be sure to put those in the show notes. Um, th- this was that was great advice and just so helpful to hear. You know, um, because it, it, the reality is, of course, words are never enough. You know. Mm-hmm. We're, we, we can't say the right thing. It's just, it, there's no amount of words or pretty things to say, or, you know, things that we think are intelligent or the right thing. It, it just, it, nothing can get to the heart of, of that kind of grief, but being able to stand solidly with someone who is in it, um, mm-hmm. I think is so, so beneficial, but to know how to do that in the most productive way where it actually is coming across, you know, the way that we want it to, to be helpful. Um, it's, it's just so good to hear that from, from you, from someone who's, who's lived it. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Absolutely. Well, JC, after this, I know that you do have a home birth experience as well. Um, I'm curious to hear, you know, what, what was pregnancy like after this, because I know there are always going to be implications, you know, just in terms of how we experience the world after grief, like losing Mm -hmm. a child, Um, but, but also joy of a child. So what, what was that like? And, and I'm certainly curious to hear how after these hospital experiences, you transitioned to home birth. Yeah. Um, So it was rough at the beginning. Um, I, I knew I mean, I knew right away that I was going to want another baby. I know I wasn't done. This wasn't it for me. And I did not want to end on this note. Uh, 
my husband was not the same. <laughs> he needed he needed a little more time to come around to that idea. And so um, once he was ready, then we started to try again. And uh, we're, we were able to get pregnant pretty quickly, which again is pretty cool considering that all of them before Abeline, before my daughter that we lost, um, we needed help with. So yeah, um, got pregnant with Jep, my youngest. And it was a roller coaster. I, again, am a numbers person. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a black and white person. So before I lost her, it was, okay, well, if I get to 12 weeks, you know, that means I'm, I'm clear from, from these statistics. And if I get to 16, then we get to see him on an ultrasound. But I got to see her on the ultrasound at 16 weeks. Um, my 20-week anatomy scan was coming up. And that was that was rough because that's yeah. when we had lost her. So my emotions during early pregnancy were not great. I I knew that whatever happened was going to be God's plan and then and I could say with my voice, I trust his plan. And in my heart, I did not. I did not um I didn't trust that it would be what I needed it to be or what I thought right. I needed it. Um, so there was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of, um, leaning on close friends for encouragement. Um, and really just a lot of, a lot of waiting, but I had so much anxiety, you know, if he, he moved right away, which was super helpful to me feeling him move. And then he was super, super active. So, um, I was so grateful for that, that, that he was just a crazy active baby because when that was my indicator for her that she didn't move, you know, that was a huge fear of mine. So, oh no, he was always bopping around in there. Um, because I am a member of a DPC, I get to kind of have special treatment. <laughs> uh, my, my doctor has a little more freedom to do whatever she wants, you know? And so um, she was very willing. She said, you ever feel nervous one day you come in and, um, we will, we'll put a Doppler on you. Or she had a, a butterfly ultrasound on her phone. She said, I'll show you the baby real quick. You know, whatever you need, you will have it. And that was such a blessing. So um, she got me through those early weeks with a little more reassurance. Um, but I just had so much anxiety. I couldn't, I couldn't connect with the baby. I didn't feel like he was real. Um, it just sort of felt like kind of back to that feeling of when I had my second daughter and she came so suddenly and I was like, how did this happen? That's sort of how I was with him. And I couldn't picture coming out of the hospital with a baby. I was just so sure in my mind that, you know, I'm going to get attached to this baby and then we're going to lose him again. And we didn't have a cause. Everything with her was beautiful. The only thing that we knew was that her heart stopped. And so I had nothing to reassure me like, oh, well, that's not happening this time. Or So I just couldn't get attached to him. And um, we, <laughs> there were two things that really got rid of that anxiety. And one of them, uh, all of our kids have A names. And we had decided, okay, he's, he's able, he had a name, but even that didn't really like take, take the anxiety away or help me bond with him much. And, um, we were both set and it's the only time we've not argued on a name. <laughs> we were both in France. This was his name. 
Well, then I was in church one morning and someone said the name Jephthah and it was like a lightning bolt hit me. And I was like, that's our son's name. And I can't explain it. I'm like I said before, I'm not like a feelings person. I'm not big on intuition. I don't know. I'm just not. And so for, for me to say something like that is like strange, but um, yeah, I just knew that was our son's name. And that took a load off of me because suddenly he was real. He was, you know, this is son and his name is Jephthah and um, we're, we're going to bring him home. But <laughs> where are we bringing him home from? Because I can either go back to the hospital where I've had all my babies, but I handed off my daughter for the last time at that hospital and my doctor doesn't have privileges there. So I'm with a new doctor rehashing all of those experiences there. Or I go to our local hospital with my doctor. Um, I had a lot of anxieties about that because they're not as equipped. And um, I I mean, with my first birth being so traumatic, that matters to me. If I'm going to birth in a hospital, (laughs) I better have everything ready. And I just couldn't get comfortable with either idea. I went back and forth and um, it was getting to the point where my doctor needed an answer and I couldn't give her one. And I just kept having home birth pop up. I am um, really big into the homesteading world. I love all things homesteading. And so I you know, like to watch the YouTube videos and listen to the podcasts and read the books. And all these people were having home births. <laughs> and it was so cool. I love, I love human development. I love all things birth. I love birth stories. You know, So I was soaking it up. I thought it was awesome for them, not for <laughs> <Right>. me. <laughs> I like my epidural and I like my planned inductions and I like to know what's going to happen. And, and so that was, yeah, these stories were fun. You know, um, Lisa from farmhouse on Boone, who I know has been on here. She was the first one that I listened to where I was like, Ooh, I would like that because she talks about how, you know, she just kind of goes about her day when she's in labor and, and kind of pretends that nothing's happening. And that sounded awesome to me. I was like, man, that, you know, I think I would kind of like that. And then, uh, and then I was watching Kate from Venison for Dinner, and she was talking about her home birth and all these women who I admired. And and then um, my best friend has now had seven home births, and so of course, once she got word that I was, you know, had some interest in it, not necessarily for me, but just because I thought, you know, I want to know more about this kind of neat. Um, then she was like, okay, yeah, we're gonna convince you to have a, have a home birth, <laughs> and. Uh, because I wanted to hear more stories, then I went searching and I found your podcast. So this is full circle for me. So I started, okay. listening, but again, I was telling myself, yeah, but not for me. I've had, I've had a history of shoulder dystocia, you know, that I could, I could not have a home birth. I like my epidurals. I I've never not been induced, not for me. And so here I was this hospital or this hospital, and I'm trying to like fit myself in these boxes and one of them is going to work. <laughs> and, uh, I just, I needed to decide. And so I just started praying and praying and praying about God, which hospital do you want me to birth at? And I was, I was not getting the answers I was looking for, but what I did get was an overwhelming feeling that I was made for this. Mm -hmm. My body was made to give birth to these babies. And it was you know it was designed that way by our creator. And it wasn't, it wasn't um, some medical emergency that I needed to rush to the hospital for. 
And I kept listening to, to your podcast and I kept hearing people say that if this is, you know, a physiological process, this is a physiological, and I'm like, it's, it's all coming to me now. <laughs> it's like, it, finally, I stopped telling myself, yeah, but not for me because of X, Y, and Z, not for me. I stopped telling myself that and it started clicking. Yep. You were made for this and you can do this. And I went to my husband and I said, okay, I know you're gonna think I'm nuts, but I want to have this baby at home. And I wanted his blessing. And he said, you are nuts. <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like um, once you go through what I went through or what we went through, you kind of get a little more leeway. <laughs> I can say things, you know, like, I want to have this baby at home. And my husband's like, you deserve to do whatever you want. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm not going to say he was gung ho about it, but he was supportive enough that I felt comfortable going forward. And once I made that decision, it's so funny, you, you know, before I was like, Oh no, not for me. I would hate that. That would scare me and blah, blah, blah. And once I made the decision to do it all the weight just came off of me. Wow. And yeah. He will tell you it's because it gave me a project, but, <laughs> and there may be some truth to that, but there's so much more. So, um, I didn't know just how healing it would be until it actually happened. So, um, yeah, I had a very, very healthy pregnancy. Um, nothing notable. It was kind of fun having the midwife come here because I have other little kids. And so I didn't have to find a sitter and they could be involved and they would get out their toy, you know, doctor equipment when she would come over and give me a checkup too. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really fun for them to do that. And, I don't know. I, I can't speak to whether or not that was kind of healing for them. But after losing your sister and having that disappointment of, you know, not getting to have your baby come home, it's pretty cool then to be able to be your baby's doctor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I got towards the end of my pregnancy and in every other pregnancy I have been done. I have, I'm, I've always been induced by 39 weeks. My last one um, before my stillbirth, he was 38. He came after a after a stretch and sweep. And so I've always been induced in some form. And I was getting towards the end and I just kept feeling like, hmm, I could, I could do this for a little longer. It's okay. And I don't know, um, this was a healthier pregnancy for me in the sense that um, I did not have polyhydramnios. It was my first, but I did not have that. Um, I went gluten-free two years ago. And that has changed a lot, um, physically for me. And I think, um, and my doctor thought that, um, getting rid of insulin resistance really helped with, um, some pregnancy problems that I was having that weren't like severe, but weren't funny. To right. Um, so yeah, his pregnancy was just so chill and it was, it was really nice after the anxiety of the beginning of the pregnancy. And I felt like, yeah, could do this for longer. So that was strange enough because I've always been so done, but it got close to my due date and I started feeling like, all right, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to force you out, but come on. And he was posterior. And so I did a couple of, um, mild circuits throughout my 39th week and nothing budged. He didn't seem to be in a hurry. And, um, so my due date was on a Sunday, Friday before that I did the, he was, I had a midwife appointment. 
he kept flip-flopping. He would go, he would be um, uh, anterior, then he would flip me posterior. Then she'd come back to the next appointment, he was anterior again. Then she'd come back, he was posterior. It was a joke because on her paper, it was like he was just a bouncing ball. And so nothing I was doing seemed to keep him where he was supposed to be. But <clears throat> I did um, spinning babies, forward-facing inversion. And now <clears throat> when people tell me, when I see things like, you know, what did you do to help you out? What are your tips? What can I try? I'm like, forward-facing inversion. <laughs> because I did forward-facing inversion one time on Friday. And I felt this like pop and it wasn't my water breaking. I thought it was because everyone talks about the pop. But I felt this pop. <clears throat> I went to the bathroom and I lost my mucus plug. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, forward-facing inversion. It did it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it must have been just, I don't know, just what he needed to start moving. And uh, I had been having a little bit of prodromal labor, but it got really bad over the weekend. You know, I would I would have timeable contractions for, you know, an hour and then they'd fizzle out. And then I'd have them again for two hours and they'd fizzle out. And Sunday came, which was my due date. And uh, we went out to dinner with family and I was having some contractions. And I told my husband, I said, I think this might be, you know, these aren't fizzling out. This might be it. We uh, came home and they fizzled out. <laughs> and so I thought, all right, never mind. But I just had this feeling. And here we go again with the feelings. And I promise you, I'm not a feelings person. <laughs> but um, I just had this feeling and for no reason. Nothing was different than before. Um, and my mom was supposed to come get my kids because I didn't, I didn't want to have them here when I was giving birth. I'm the type that I would have been too worried about what they were doing. Yeah. And uh, so I text her and I said, I don't know why, but get your crap together. <laughs> That's all I said. She said, okay. So, and I had, I wasn't having contractions at that time. I didn't, I don't know. Something told me he was coming. So I woke up at 4.45 in the morning and I was having, you know, much more intense contractions than, than the prodromal labor that I was having. And they were very regular. And at that point, they were about eight minutes apart. And so I got up and I started doing the things that I wanted to do. And I kept telling myself, be like Lisa, be like Lisa, pretend this isn't happening. So I'm doing laundry and I'm I'm like getting, you know, my kids bags together and just trying to tell myself this isn't happening. Every now and then I need to stop and just breathe. But um, I woke my husband up at about six and said, okay, you need to take the kids to meet my mom. You need to go send the dog to my brothers, whatever. And I sent him on his way. And at this time I was still like six minutes apart. So he leaves and it was like, he drove out and then boom, (laughs) they started coming hard and I started having to work through them. And so I called the midwife and we live in a very rural area. And so does she, and she didn't answer. (laughs) And called her multiple times and multiple times she did not answer. And so luckily she gave me her husband's number. And by this time he was on his way to work because Monday morning. And so he was able to get her attention and send her my way. But for a while there, it was like, I may be doing this on my own. Yeah. <laughs> From hospital to free birth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Without even, without even my husband here. Yeah. So, um, that was a little bit nerve wracking there for a bit, but, uh, my best friend was coming to kind of be my doula and, uh, my husband is fantastic, but he's not a support person during birth. He's kind of like the, I'll stand over here and 
give you a thumbs up every now and then. Well, you, girlfriend, you need- do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be a runner, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a good sport person. So she was coming. So my best friend showed up, and like I said, she's now had seven home births. So then I could breathe a little because I was like, all right, <laughs> worst comes to worst, she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and shortly after she got here, uh, my husband came back, and the midwife showed up. They all kind of came at once. And so I didn't end up giving birth alone. Thank goodness. Uh, But I was laughing and talking and here I was like, I can't do it without an epidural. So to anybody listening, you can do it without an epidural. (laughs) Um, I, I was having conversations and every now and then I would need to squat and just breathe. And then I'd pop right back up and we'd continue our conversation and laugh. And um, I remember at eight o'clock, so because the baby was posterior, my doctor had recommended going to a chiropractor. So I made an appointment on Monday morning for the chiropractor. So I, at eight o'clock, my alarm went off and here I was in a birth pool. <laughs> and so I said, oh, you need to call the chiropractor and tell her that I don't need her because <laughs> I'm having this baby. And so we were laughing. And again, I know it was eight o'clock because that was my alarm. By eight, by 8.13, he was here. <laughs> so that's, wow. how fast, yeah, that's how fast things changed for me. Um, so sometimes I'll say it was a really fast birth, but it really, it wasn't, but, um, yeah. So at eight o'clock I was laughing and then all of a sudden I had a really, really intense contraction and my midwife had me get out or I need, I felt like I needed to go to the bathroom. And so like, not, not like the contraction poop feeling, but like, I got to pee, I got to pee back. And so I got out of the pool and I went to go to the bathroom and it was like, nope, I want to get back in that pool. (laughs) And so I got back in the pool and had some really intense contractions and I felt like I needed to push. Mm -hmm. And I was telling myself because I was just laughing. Two seconds ago, I was laughing about a story with my friend. And, And so I said, I feel like I need to push, but I know I can't. I kept saying that. I know I can't. It's too early. I know. And I'm telling myself like, slow down, don't push. And, uh, cause here I pictured this, this like calm, breathe the baby out. You're good. You know, that's what I thought I was going to do. That is not what I did. Turns <laughs> um, out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, best laid plans. So mm-hmm. I kept telling my best friend, it's too early. It's too early. And she said, you've been at this since 430 this morning. And hearing that was like my okay. Like, mm. yes, this just came all at once, but you've been working towards this since 4.30 in the morning. And when she said that, I pushed and he was there. Like, it just, it, yeah, I just needed someone to tell me, like, it's not too early. It's okay. You can push. Yeah. So I don't know. I felt like I didn't really have a, a choice but to push at the end there. And so I don't know if that was like a little fetal ejection response. I definitely was doing some of the pushing, but I also definitely didn't have a choice in some of it. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was, That's, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. I think sometimes, sometimes the idea of fetal ejection, get like it can get kind of muddied, but yeah, it is that sense of like, I don't have a choice. And that doesn't mean that you don't end up pushing along with it. Like, you you know, helping your body, but like your body's like, no, we're doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what it was. Yeah. It was like, I cannot hold this anymore. It's gotta happen. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So once I started pushing, he came very easily, very quickly. And this is going to sound so strange. (laughs) It was such a relief to feel pain. Yeah. It was, 
when I was going through my contractions, it almost made me happy, you know, like, like, yeah, you have the happy, like, Ooh, it's baby time. But this was different. It was, it was like, this is happening and he's okay. And I'm okay. And I have control over this. Mm. And in the sense that, you know, I can feel it and I can handle it. And, um, same with pushing, even though I know I needed that permission of like, you're not going to, completely tear if you start pushing right now because you've been at it since 4 30 in the morning other than that it was like i didn't need to try to hold back and wait for a nurse or i you know this baby wasn't going to just come on his own i had to work for it and i mm. did and to me that was so healing yeah. so so in my mind, when I pictured having the home birth and I would think about losing my daughter, I would I would always think like, oh, it's going to be when they hand them to me that I'm going to feel this overwhelming sense of relief. And it really wasn't that. I mean, of course, that was joyous, but it was joyous in the same way that my other babies were joyous. It wasn't like, oh, my baby's alive. You know, um, it was the working through the labor and the wow. and the delivery for me that really made a difference. And then there was just this overwhelming realization that we got to keep him. Mm. Mm. And wow. he didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. So whereas before, not only did I have to hand my baby off to somebody who I just met mm -hmm. and then leave that place here, the first person I handed him to was my best friend. And he mm. never left my house. Mm. Yeah. He was, he was right there. Oh, gosh. That I, I just, I can hear and so deeply understand how, how healing that is. You know, when I think of what you're, what you're saying about your experience, you're experiencing the sensations and how that was a good thing for you. It's the, it's the life affirming ness mm -hmm. of it, you know, like there's so, th this is like the most life affirming experience. This, these sensations, all that your body is going through, feeling your body working, you know, so, so intensely and how that provided you um, with so much healing that that's incredible. And then yes, that, that ability to not only, you know, is your baby here and, and you're seeing that, but but you don't have to give your baby to anybody. Like, yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. That is, that's so beautiful. And I'm, I'm just so happy hearing that lovely experience that is so, so well-deserved. Um, just incredible, JC. Thank you so much. Thank you for your willingness to share your entire story to open up things that I know, I know it hurts. I mean, there's that, that it, it's painful. It's a painful story, um, but so helpful and beautiful. Um, and, and what a beautiful ending. I, I'm just so grateful. Thank you so much for coming on the happy home birth podcast, JC. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, being willing, being willing to um, have someone on to talk about something like this, because like I said, when, when those people were placed in my path, that's what my mind went to when it was happening to me. So I hope that this will be a resource for somebody someday. 
I am so grateful for JC's willingness to come on and share such a vulnerable piece of her life and her heart with us. As we head into today's episode roundup, I wanted to simply focus on this one aspect. When we come across those who are grieving, for whatever reason, but especially those who have lost a child at any stage, I think that far beyond our words, we can love people with our actions, bringing a meal, offering to watch the other little ones, providing house cleaning services, acknowledging the personhood of the little life who is no longer here, and acknowledging the physical trauma and need for recovery of the mother too. We don't have to have the perfect words, but having a servant's heart is a treasure above all else. Thank you, JC, so much for sharing sweet Abling's story with us. All right, my friends, that's all I've got for you for today. I'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast. 